Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. What would a Father's Day service be without a few dad jokes to start off proceedings? Amen. And so uh, I'm just going to do two, two or three this morning just to break the ice, if that's all right. Uh, my first one is simply this, that there was a panda that walked into a bar and he said to the bartender, uh, I'll have a scotch and Coke. To which the bartender responded, um, Panda, why the big paws? <laughs> to which he said, I was born with them. (laughs) Did you hear about the restaurant on the moon? The food is amazing, but there's just no atmosphere. Herein lies the explanation of what a dad joke is. It creates laughter, but not at the joke, but at the dad. That's why we dads love them, because we love to see our kids laughing. And even if it is at us, we would rather you laughing at us than not laughing at all. Amen. Which reminds me of one more dad joke. You ready for it? What do you call an Argentinian with a rubber toe? Roberto. Roberto, rubber toe, rubber toe, Roberto, rubber toe. There we go. You like that? Oh, fantastic. Why are you guys still up here? You guys can take a seat. You're amazing. Let's put our hands together for our magicians slash musicians. It's just awesome. It is great to be with you this morning. As Kath has already said, I realise that today, while joyous for many, many of us, it is a sad occasion for some. And that may be because you've lost your natural father. It could be that you had an absent father or an abusive father, or maybe you didn't have a father at all. And so the concept of Father's Day is really foreign to you. And to you, we extend our love, we extend our grace. The Bible says that we are to mourn with those who mourn, and we are to rejoice with those who rejoice. And if you are in mourning this morning, for whatever reason, because of the memories that are associated with this particular day, then we want you to know that our love and our care and our prayers uh, with you. Spare a thought, please, for the Guglamucci family. This is what, another one of those firsts for them. And uh, Lisa and the family are unable to be with us this morning, which is very understandable. But please, please, please keep them in your prayers. That would be much appreciated. And again, our prayers and love extend to all of you who may have lost a dad more recently in the last few years, or as I've said before, any of those other reasons. We need to mourn with one another. But also it says that we need to rejoice with one another. And I, help, I really do believe that part of the mourning process is made just that little bit more uh, manageable when we find ourselves in an environment like this where we can rejoice with others who are indeed rejoicing. Where we can rejoice with the Jackson family because they won the Hulk smash competition and it just helps. So no matter what you are going through, no matter what you are facing, we trust that today really would be an incredible blessing to you this morning. I uh, love being a dad. I consider being a dad an incredible, fun, privileged opportunity. But I would say this, and I'm sure every dad out there would agree with me, being a dad is not easy 
Uh, believe me, I know I am a dad, which reminds me of a story of a famous preacher who um, preached a message that he entitled The Ten Commandments of Raising Children. Then one day he fell in love, he got married and had children of his own. After the first child, he changed his message to the 10 suggestions of <laughs> raising children. After he had the second child, he changed the message one more time to a few tips about raising children. And after the third child, he never preached that message <laughs> again. As I said before, fathering is a lot easier talking about it than actually doing it. Uh, the sheer realities of being a dad with all its complexities is not easy. That coupled with the double standards set by the culture in which we live make being a dad or indeed a parent today very difficult indeed. You see, we live in a culture that celebrates winners, not losers. And to prove my point, we've just had the Olympic Games and there's a lot of disappointment uh, around the uh, Australian team because we didn't produce enough winners. We celebrate winners, we don't tolerate losers. In actual fact, some of those that got uh, bronze medals and silver medals were just overlooked and forgotten because we only celebrate winners and celebrating winners is what makes being a dad all that more difficult in this day and generation. Not only that, we celebrate wealth and not lack. We are told that you need more money. We're told that more is more. We're told that you need a bigger house and you need a newer car. And for God's sake, do not send your kids to a public school. You need to send them to a private school. And not just any private school, but you need to send them to the best private school. And here we are uh, on, the, on the rat race, trying to please society, thinking that we will just be a better person and a better dad as a result. We celebrate winners, not losers. We celebrate wealth, not lack. We celebrate work over families. We have our worth found in what we do, not who we are. You get two men together and the first question that they are going to ask each other is this. What do you do? No man's talking to another man's first question is this. Hey, are you married? How's your family? Got any kids? We, we don't ask those questions. It's all around what we do. And it makes being a dad with all its complexities that much more difficult because of the society and the double standards of this society that we live in today. I'm here to categorically tell you the truth is that chasing these things will not make you a great dad. Being a great dad has more to do with the ordinary things, the mundane things, the little things. Ordinary, unfortunately, is a poor cousin to extraordinary. In this society that wants winners, not losers, we're looking to celebrate the big milestones. But actually, to be a great dad, it has more to do with consistency in the ordinary things over and above the big moments of our lives. And so with that in mind, in keeping with the theme of the day, I've simply entitled my message, The Superpower of Ordinary Things. So this morning, we want to look at the little things that make a big difference to you being a dad. 
And the reason I want to look at these things is twofold. One, because these ordinary things are the foundational things. All those other things, the money and the fame and the glory, that's the icing on the cake. But these foundational things, they are the actual cake itself. Without the cake, you don't have a cake, you just have icing. But these things are foundational. That's why they are most important. And secondly, I want to bring it up is because I believe that because they are ordinary, they involve all of us. And they are things that all of us can do. So this is no longer just a message uh, for dads, about dads. This is a message for every one of us. And we want to look at some of these little things that make a big difference. And they're the little things that we could all pick up on this morning and be a better person, which will ultimately result in us being better dads, being better mums, being better sons and daughters and aunties and uncles and grandparents alike. Amen? Does that sound good? But in order to do that... I'm going to ask and enlist the help of my family. You see, it's one thing for me to stand up here and talk to you. Uh, uh, It's another thing to get my family up here and and be the barometer of my life. And so I'm going to ask if my 18-year-old daughter, Jordan, would join us as she comes. Why don't you welcome her? Hello, Jordy. How are you? Please take a seat. And I'm going to ask my 16-year-old son, Mitch, to join us up here on stage. So please welcome him. How are you, Mitch? You good? Good. Fantastic. And I'm also going to ask my wife, Kath, to join us up here on stage. That would be great. Thank you, Kath. We'll get you a little bit of water as we get this uh, pulpit removed. That would be great. And I've asked if Kath would basically interview us, me being a dad, and these two being parented and being fathered by myself, and let you into a little bit of insight of the Rainbow family as we look to teach together in a very real, practical way. How does that sound? Thank you. So let's put our hands together for Kath. Awesome. Well, welcome to the inner workings of the Rainbow family. Um, when uh, probably at the end of this, I'm trusting that the majority of you will actually pray for me more. <laughs> so you get a little bit of an insight into what's going on. Um, this is kind of like our lounge room. This is uh, not as formal as this, but just how we do life. That's what we're wanting to do today. And so we've just thought of some things that we feel are little things that can make a big difference. And the first thing we believe is uh, love. And Luke chapter 10, verse 27 says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbour as yourself. And I'm just going to ask the kids and Tony some questions, and we're just going to see where it goes from there. So I think I'll start with you, Mitch. Maybe you'd like to say hello to everybody first. Hi, everyone. (laughs) That's good. Hey, Mitch, maybe you can tell us how important it is that you feel loved by mum and dad. Yeah, I think it's, um, it's very important for um, us kids to feel loved by our parents because God's created all um, us humans in a way that we all desire to love someone or something and also to feel love. Um, uh, we all have this feeling inside that we want love and acceptance and I think that to get that from our parents is really godly and a good thing to be able to receive because if we don't receive it from our family then we'll go looking for it in places and uh, sometimes those places can be harmful and just um, not the best places to be looking for love in. So I think it's really important that we receive Good. that from our parents. It's great, Good. great. So parental love is foundational. You can clap. 
So, Geordie, maybe you'd like to say hi to everyone and then maybe tell us why is it important or why do you think it's important that we love God first? Well, hi, everyone. (laughs) I think it's important that we love God first. First of all, to know that we're loved. Um, Obviously, like um, uh, they said before, Father's Day can be a tough time for some. And, like, for some of us, for some people, you don't uh, have a good either like you don't feel loved in your life or don't have um, parents who have shown that to you and therefore through God's love we know that we are loved no matter what and then from that we can love other people and we learn to love ourselves as well which is important in Mm. helping to love other people so yeah Yeah. that's good what does love look like for you I think uh, in terms of words is definitely um, a big one and especially like I know for like our parents, we have, they generally, uh, they constantly um, com- uh, compliment us and encourage us. Like, um, if we, like, share about our day, they always ask how it was and um, they'll question on us on stuff, like, oh, how'd you go in this? And they'll be like, oh, that's great. And they're really, like, invested and, so, and constantly tell us they love us and, yeah. Awesome. Maybe, Mitch, you've got some insight into that. Yeah, I would say one of the biggest ways that my parents show love to us kids is with their time. Um, our parents always make time for us. They're very busy people and they get uh, the amazing opportunity to travel a lot and um, we get to go with them on some trips. Um, but even though they're out of the house a lot, uh, our kids never, we never feel like we don't get to see our parents enough. They're always there to make time for us and to, um, like Jordan said, uh, speak to us and let us know how much they love us and how good we are. Um, my parents, for example, always come to my basketball games every week whenever they're in the country. They're always at my basketball games. Um, so, yeah, I'd say the time is one of the big things. Awesome. Cool. You want to tell everybody how well you did yesterday in basketball? Oh, I didn't do that well, but we won. <laughs> <laughs> Where's this sudden modesty coming from? <laughs> well, I only say that because Dan was there, so you could tell everyone if I was lying. <laughs> I think I cover that later on. <laughs> yeah. That's good. Can, can I just uh, weigh in on that? I, I think uh, when it comes to being parents that are loving your children... Uh, the Bible says with good reason that we need to love God first. If we don't love God first, ultimately we're going to project onto others and expect the love from others that only God can give. And the trouble is when you project onto others to give you what only God can give, you're dealing with flawed humanity. And that's why we get so disappointed and we're so shocked when people let us down. And the reason people let us down is because we're flawed. Every one of us uh, is flawed in our parenting. Every one of us is flawed in our humanity. And it's only God. God who is perfect and so as parents and to every dad out there I would encourage you to go to God first because you can only truly love your kids as God intended if we get love from God first. Uh, Amen. That's good. Thank you. I think not only is love a small thing that all of us can do that makes a big difference but teaching is another thing that we can all do um, that'll make a difference and Deuteronomy 11:19 says teach them to your children talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. And I don't know about you, but when I hear teaching, I instantly go to school mode. So you think of a teacher at the front of the classroom, you think about a sitting in rows, there's whiteboard or back in our day, blackboard, or maybe uh, quill and ink for some of you. But you have this sort of formal, sorry, (laughs) you have this sort of formal concept of what teaching is. And and perhaps, Jordan, you can tell me, what, what's your understanding of teaching? 
Yeah, I think, like you said, um, it can often look very formal, and especially for being pastor's kids. A lot of people would think that it's um, dad wakes us up at like 4 a.m. and then we sit around the table and we pull out our Bibles and we read for like three hours and <laughs> we have to memorize the whole chapter. <laughs> no, but it's actually nothing like that. It's actually really like informal and it looks more like a conversation and whether that's just on our way to school. Um, back when dad used to drive us or just around the dinner table and yeah. Hey Mitch, maybe you can share with us what teaching looks like Jordan started in the Rainbow House. Give us some examples. Yeah, like like we were saying, um, teaching in our household is a lot less formal than, you know, you think of school and education. Um, Our parents stopped being able to help us with our homework when we hit like year three or something like that. (laughs) Maybe year four if we're being generous. Yeah, yeah. He's still in year three. Oh! (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um, No, I think... um... (laughs) Yeah, no, our parents, my parents know know me a lot more personally than um, my teachers at school do, so they're able to bring a more personal level of teaching. Um, Me and Dad have started... um, we get up in the morning and we read our devotions together and it's great to be able to um, have another person there like Dad where if I read something and I don't quite understand it, then I can ask him what that means um, and instead of him just telling me an answer because scripture can be um, read in many different ways, instead of him telling me, oh, this is what it means, he's able to teach me and give me um, context and like um, information so that I can better understand what I'm reading and then I can make my own decisions based on that. So it's a lot more personal and, um, yeah. That's good. Mitch, I've just got a picture I'm going to show up on the screen. I want to see if you can relate to this and I'll read it out in case you can't see. It says, when you tell your parents a funny story and it turns into a life lesson. Yeah, I, I, I can relate to that pretty well, actually. I, I think that is you, Mitch. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I want those pyjamas. <laughs> maybe you won't be praying for me, you'll be praying for our kids more, so it's part of it. Or another uh, key is training. Uh, Proverbs 22.6 says, Train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. Maybe, Dad, I can throw this question to you. Can you explain to us what your understanding of training is? Yeah, sure. I, I think for me, teaching is different than training. As we've already discussed, teaching has to do with the practicalities and the outworking of some of those conversations. But training is something that the Bible talks about that's a little bit different. In actual fact, that particular scripture is referring to how you are shaped. What is your natural bent? Um, It's referring to the man who would go out looking to make a new bow as a weapon or a hunting tool. And uh, he would look for the perfect branch that had a natural bend in it, a natural bow in it. He wouldn't look for a straight one. He'd look for one that had a natural bend. And he would recognize that's a great one to make a bow out of. And that's the one he would saw off. And that's the one he would turn a branch into a bow with because of its natural bend. And I think as parents, our role is to find how our children are bent, how they are wired. What is their natural shape? What is their natural gifting, uh, which is a little bit different than teaching? So I would encourage everyone out there, uh, particularly those with young kids, just look for the natural bent, the natural way your child leans in life. That's good. 
George, it's okay for us to say this is what you should do, but maybe you've got some examples um, of how we've helped do that in your life. Yeah, well, I think actually all through my schooling, um, mum and dad have been great in um, helping us decide or guide us to different future ideas based on our natural bend. And especially in year 12, as um, that's coming to an end and you've got to think about what do you want to do next. Um, uh, something like, especially psychology, like I've really taken a liking to that and I've actually been really good at that this year. And Dad uses that and he'll be like, oh, well, you're really good at that. Maybe like an area in psychology is a possible future for you. I know he's definitely said that about different design things. So, yeah, it's always highlighting um, for a future, but highlighting our natural bend and how that can help. Great. Mitch, can you say the same? Yeah, definitely. I think um, my parents are really good at, like was said, they, um, they can see us kids, how we're bent naturally, and they're really good at nurturing that gift and um, trying to help it grow. I know for me, um, I really enjoy like speaking in front of people and um, being in charge and leading. And I think even right now, mum and dad always give me opportunities to do things like this where I can speak to people and develop that gift and get better at it. And so, yeah, they never try and force me to do something that I'm not good at and don't want to do. They're always going to um, nurture the things that I'm bent in that way. That's good. I think a key, too, for us as parents is, and Tony touched on it earlier, it's about the fact that we've got to be secure. So if you approach this that actually what my kids do has a reflection and a bearing on me, which it does... But if that's more important to you than actually helping and shaping them, you'll never do what it is you need to do. And I always remember Geordie, she was always creative. Uh, I, we could walk into a classroom and you could pick her colouring in because it was just colourful and in the lines and, you know, she entered a competition and people said, oh, you got your parents to. I'm like, dude, you've not seen me colour in because I can't do that. <laughs> And you know, Jordy used to always say, I want to paint nails when Tony would ask her. And so he'd be sitting there and Jordan would be painting his nails and he would be encouraging her. And I think sometimes we as parents, we're like, oh no, you're, you're better than painting nails. You, can, you could be a lawyer or you could be this or you could be that. But Tony understood that, you know what, Jordy, at, at the end of those nails is a human being. And you've got a gift and a talent to be able to connect with humanity and you could speak life into them. So it wasn't about, well, you can't do that. It was about, you like to do that. How can I shape that into that? Because I see it's bigger than that. And I believe if he wasn't secure in who he was, he wouldn't be able to do that. And I think that's a real challenge for us as parents is we need to be secure so that we can do that. As, as a starting place, I would encourage all the parents out there, again, particularly with younger kids, uh, as far as starting this process, is just give them opportunities in different areas uh, because sometimes you don't know where to start. And so for us, uh, I always think about things from a cultural perspective. We, uh, so whether that's the arts, drama, dance, music. And so we've tried, every one of our kids has done something in, in, in culturally speaking. Um, they've done something uh, in the physical area. So they've all played a, a sport at some level. Now again, that doesn't mean that they are going to be sports people. And I would hate anyone out there to live vicariously or want to or desire to live vicariously through their kids because you couldn't make it as a sportsman. But it's a great opportunity just to give them an opportunity to shine. It may not be the area they shine, but at least if you give them a chance, you will have a better understanding. I also think spiritually is another area. You need to give people opportunities to shine. And so we've given them plenty of opportunities within the life of the church. And as you would know, most of you at least, that they are involved in the worship team. They are up here on stage singing and dancing and going crazy. <laughs> 
which I really, really uh, love seeing. But it didn't start with that. We just gave plenty of opportunities. You're not always going to get it right first time. And then just practically, you know, even giving, I was making a joke before about giving them a broom and sweep, just, just practical uh, jobs and tasks could be the thing that sets them on a path. Uh, someone sweeping a floor versus someone else sweeping the floor could show you something about them. And uh, we've, uh, as parents, have just tried as best we can just to observe our kids based upon the tasks that have been given. A great example that I shared in chapel was when Mitch was about four years of age. He was in a pet shop. And if you think about a four-year-old boy in a pet shop, there's a lot of distractions. There, is bir- there are birds, there are lizards, there are fish, there are turtles, there are cats, there are dogs. There's all sorts of things to capture the imagination of a four-year-old boy, all of which it did for him. But on top of all of that going on, he says, Dad, look. They've got the same carpet that we have in church. (laughs) And he was right. You know, he has this, and I've seen it from an early age, this this observation and this discernment that shone through at a very early age. He'd be walking, leading all his mates through the cafe, and after the service, say, Hey, why was so and so crying in the cafe? And I'm thinking, my goodness me, we have pastors, people that I pay that don't see that. And here's Mitch, a little boy who's seemingly disinterested, but noticing all those things. That's a gift. And so as a result, we've kind of helped him go in a certain direction because that's the way God was pointing us. And so it's uh, train a child in the way that they should go. And the way they should go is the way God has designed them. Yeah, that's good. You know, we're talking about training. We're saying that we're all bent. And because we're all bent, it brings me to our next point, which means that we need boundaries. And um, Joshua 24 verse 15 says, But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day, this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I'm going to ask you kids, do you guys have any boundaries placed on you? Yeah. Okay. yeah. Do you ever test them? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Who tests them more? Jordan. <laughs> do, you, do you want to take your time to think about that, Mitch? <laughs> no. Jordan. Jordan. <laughs> Jordan. Well, then perhaps maybe you guys could share with us some of those boundaries that you've had placed on you. Um, I'll go first. Um, I think for me, one of them's been uh, friends. Um, obviously, I've, I've got a whole different range of friends. I have like um, friends like in the church or friends that don't go to church, and that actually meant different boundaries. Um, different things I could do with friends in church, but I couldn't really do them with the friends who uh, didn't go to church, only because um, to the outside world, we're meant to be influencers and we're meant to be the example. And so there's situations I had to avoid to avoid getting um, temptation and end up following the crowd so that I can be the example I need to be. Whereas with people here, it was a lot um, different. It was a little bit more relaxed and I could afford to yeah, do some of those things. That's good. Do you like having boundaries? No. <laughs> <laughs> but do you understand the purpose of yeah. those boundaries? Yeah. Awesome. Have you, um, have you got, any, are you brave enough, either of you, to maybe share where you possibly overstepped a boundary, ignored a boundary, <laughs> totally deliberately decided I'm going to... <laughs> Hang on, I'll get it off my chest. <laughs> Wait, maybe you overstepped a boundary and then um, suffered the consequences of it. Um, I... <laughs> it's confession time, I'll, Mitch. I'll think because I, I can't really think of something off the top of my head. Oh. Um, <laughs> uh, 
I remember... Um, I can remind you. <laughs> That's okay, I got one. That's all right. Um, I remember one time in our old house, um, we were in... Um, me and Jordan were in the garage, and I can't remember what happened, but I had, like, textures or crayons or something. And then I just looked up and I, I spotted the garage wall. And it was just a massive blank white canvas. And it was, it was just... It made so much sense in my head. I was like, it's there. It's like, Dad paints. Like, he, he paints on stuff. And like, I'm like, this is, this is my canvas. So then I decided to, um, to just do my little... My, my masterpiece. And... Um, <laughs> I thought it was great. I was like, man, mum and dad are going to see this and they're going to love it. And uh, I may have overstepped a boundary at that point. <laughs> Maybe. May. May. Drawing on the walls is a stepping over the boundary, you think? Yeah. Well, probably. There we go. Boundaries are really... They're, they're safety net for our kids. They really let them know how far they can go. But, and, and kids are designed to push and to test, and we as parents are designed to keep them in place. And I, I was just wondering, Tone, as a parent, do you enjoy setting and then actually enforcing boundaries? I don't enjoy setting the boundaries and I don't enjoy enforcing them, but I do enjoy the results of boundaries that have been set and enforced. Uh, I think it's the kids' right and responsibility to push the boundaries, and it's our right as parents to enforce them. So don't complain that your kids are pushing the boundaries. That's their job, you know. But our job as parents is to enforce them. And that's not always pleasant, but the rewards speak for themselves. And so I have no regrets. Um, would you say that we have different boundaries for different kids in our family? Oh, yeah, I'd say definitely your favourite child, which I don't see why, but <laughs> Bailey, <laughs> I, I would believe she doesn't really have any boundaries. <laughs> she can do what she wants, really. For those of you who may not know, there is another child that we have, and she's actually uh, in the children's ministry out the back there. She's nine years old, going on 29, and uh, apparently Kath and I favour her over these two. Is that fair? Would you agree with that, Mitch? I think um, that's definitely true. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm able to see, I can, I kind of have this, like I can see it all because I usually, being the middle child, I'm neglected and I'm forgotten a lot. So I just kind of like, I can kind of see it from like a, an outside perspective because I'm like, yep, you, you love Bailey and yeah, you love Jordan and I'm like, I'm here too. <laughs> Mitch, why don't you share the story last night at dinner when you were, oh, man. You okay, were letting okay. us know how neglected and overlooked middle yeah, child we you were, were? We were discussing um, what we're going to be sharing today and then I, I mentioned about how Bailey has very loose boundaries and I said, oh, I'm the middle child so I'm obviously very neglected. And then Bailey was just like eating her dinner and she looks up and she was like, Mitch... You're not neglected. Aww. And I was like, oh. And then she's like, no, mum and dad just, you're not as important as I am. <laughs> true story. <laughs> it's a true story. Yeah. Awesome. But can I, can I just say, as a parent, it's all, all fun and jokes and uh, 
But there are different boundaries uh, and different seasons for different kids. And I, I would say that I know why you feel like that from time to time, if not all of the time, that we all have favourites. But one thing I remind these two is that one thing that Bailey... Uh, uh, has that they never had is an older brother and an older sister teasing her <laughs> as often as they do. And so there is definitely a leniency that I have towards Bailey because of that. So I'm just clearing that up and it just goes to show there are different boundaries for different kids at different times. Awesome. Thank you. We could be on this all day, honestly. <laughs> And we may have to go home and do some therapy, some of these things that are coming out. But another thing that we want to talk about is discipline, all right? Proverbs 13, 24 says, Whoever spares the rod hates their children, but the one who loves their children is careful to discipline. Have you ever been disciplined? Yep. Who yep. needed it most? I'd say Mitch. But... Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Did you enjoy it? <laughs> Can you maybe share with us, maybe just a couple of examples, what discipline looked like for you? Um, when we were younger, um, sorry to all the new parents out here, and smacking's not the right thing, but yeah, when we were younger, it definitely was a smack, unless you're like me and you're fast enough and you're like, nah, I see this coming, so you run to your room and you're like, nah. <laughs> um, Bailey doesn't get smacked. <laughs> <laughs> I think she gets like a fist pump or something. Like, oh, do better. <laughs> On that though, Mitch, you rarely got smacked. Why do you think that's the case? Why I never got smacked? Yeah. Uh, I usually just broke down crying as soon as the hand came up. <laughs> oh, that's funny. You, um, again, because different consequences. So what are some other things maybe? Some other things that... Discipline. What form of discipline? Um, we usually get sent to our room and then um, we have to just sit there for a while and think about what we did. Um, I usually just like, would like cry really loud, <laughs> trying to get someone's attention. Um, All right. So once you're in your room, you're crying really loud, you get someone's attention. What did the fact of being in your room, what did discipline bring about in your life? I think um, for me... After I was disciplined, obviously, I didn't really like it at the time. I was like, God, this sucks. But there was, um, there was one example when there was a time when mum said to me, she, uh, she called me up on something and was like, oh, this is something that I've noticed um, in your attitude and I don't like it and I think it should change. And I got really offended. I was like, oh, that's so mean, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, um, it was like the next week I was out with some people and I noticed like the same thing happened in like, I saw it in their personality as well and I kind of was able to see that and I thought I didn't really like how that came across and I didn't want that to be a part of me and my life and um, it's something I wouldn't have been able to pick up on if I hadn't been disciplined by mum and dad. So then I saw that and I was like, oh, I'm actually really thankful because even though it sucked at the time, I'm able to see the benefit of mum and dad bringing discipline and I went home that day and I just said, oh, thank you for bring that up because I saw that today and I really don't want that to be a part of me. It's great. It's great. It's good. You know, that leads me, um, I know I'm just watching time, but uh, just quickly, the next one's forgiveness. And Luke 17, 3 says, if your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them and if they repent, forgive them. And maybe I'll just ask you, Geordie, have you ever had to ask for forgiveness and what did that look like? Uh, yeah, I definitely did. <laughs> um, uh, for me, that looked like um, we were always taught from a young age that we had to, obviously, we got sent to our rooms, which 
On that fact, Mitch would cry really loudly, but I had this in the bag. I was like, I'm not showing them that they've annoyed me. <laughs> so I used to make my room the funnest place. I'm like, oh, all right, you sent me here. I was like, I'm having a lot of fun. <laughs> you can come get me when you're ready. <laughs> I often asked to be tried separately to Jordan when we got in trouble. <laughs> um, yeah, but they'd come in. I'd be like, oh, you're interrupting me playing my game, but all right, okay. I guess I'll do that. <laughs> um, but we used to always have to go to each other and apologise and ask for forgiveness. And generally, we'd both ask each other. And then mum and dad would, like, make us hug and it all, it all out. And as we got older, it's something we've always done. And it's something we've been taught to do um, just throughout life. And obviously, as we're older, we don't have to be forced to hug. Like, mum and dad, like, pushing us, just like, hug. <laughs> but, yeah. Mitch, has forgiveness been modelled to you and can you think of, I don't know, an, an occasion? I can think of an occasion where forgiveness was modelled. Um, so I think, I'm not sure how many of you guys are familiar with the Bondi story. Um, there, was, there, <laughs> there was a time where we had a family holiday to Sydney and um, it was like the first day we were there, we went to Bondi Beach and um, Dad always has this thing where he has to just like, he goes on holiday and he just unwinds and he relaxes. And I think us kids were having a really good time and we were, like, jumping around and, like, kicking I think kicking it was up. Bailey actually making Yeah, it probably was. Yeah. But we, we got in trouble. Um, Apparently it was our fault. Yeah, but uh, we were jumping around and making noise and kicking up sand, you know, like normal beach By activities. Bailey was doing that. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, yeah, so Dad was, like, really mad and he kind of went, like, he turned into the Hulk and he was like <laughs> smashing cones on tables and stuff. <laughs> and he was just going, and he was like, I can't believe it, I can't believe it. Um, and then that was kind of scary and we went home and then we were just kind of um, got on with our day and then uh, at dinner that night we, um, we were gathered around the table and Dad just said to everyone, he said, I just wanted you to know that I'm really sorry for that. I didn't mean to like get really mad. Um, and I think it was really them or dad modelling to us that they practice what they preach. They don't just tell us that we have to apologise. They do that as well. Um, something that dad has said from the stage before is that no one in our family goes to bed angry at one another. We always, um, we always have to sort out our beef before we go to bed and then uh, we'll ask for forgiveness. So that's something that really gets modelled in our family. That's great. I think... Uh... Just talking about that Bondi apology, one thing I wanted to do, as I've tried to do every time I've had to apologise, and I've had a lot of practice at this because I've had to apologise a lot, um, it's removing the fear, the doubt, the concern, the thought that somehow they're the problem. And so I let them know that this has got nothing to do with the church. It's got nothing to do with yeah. you. It's got nothing to do with mummy. It's got everything to do with me struggling with my own humanity. And I'm sorry for what I did. It's not because I'm tired. It's not because of the church. It's not because I'm overworked. It's not because I'm married. It's not because of you kids. It's because of me and my own flawed humanity. And I think if we as a church could model that in our apologizing, it would not only um, be an apology, but it'd be the right kind of apology. Yeah. When you apologise and have an excuse for why you did what you did, it's actually not an apology at all. Mm. So that's something you know, we've tried to do as best yeah. we possibly can. Yeah. I think just too in wrapping it up, one of what we've tried to do, not only model forgiveness, but we've also tried to model fun. I think it's the last little key in terms of small things we can do. 
because um, it's just it can't be all work and no play. And we've had a tough year this year. It's been an unusual year, and we've worked really hard, I think, at modelling uh, fun within our family. Uh, Proverbs seventeen twenty two says, "A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones." And I'm just going to ask, maybe start with you, Jordan. Maybe explain what a fun environment, what impact that's had on you. Um, I think it's definitely taught us, especially like Mum said with everything this year, it's taught us not to take life too seriously and to look for the fun in things and even in a bad situation, look for what you can get out of it and what you can enjoy because there's always generally, there's always got to be something that you can look at um, the light in and yeah. It's good. Mitch, have you got anything to add to that? Yeah, I think... um, because of what, um, like you said, we've had a like, pretty tough year this year as a family and as a church. Um, because of the culture that's already been set in our family of having fun, it's been a lot easier just to be able to um, get through the, like, the hard times this year. We don't, we, it's just easy to have fun because we've really set a culture of that. Like, um, it's changed a bit as we've got older, but like, when we were younger, it, it used to look like when we'd go to bed, me and Dad would like, wrestle each other. And I was just in my underwear, and I used to be called Jock Boy, and I would always, I would always. Mitch, you're always just in your underwear. Yeah, that's true. And we've had to apologise to many of you who've been exposed to that at home. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Okay, we still do that. That. Yeah. But that culture of fun not only extends to our family; it's something we've tried to uh, extend to this. Uh, local church, our church family, uh, hence why we saw uh, dads and sons just smashing a bunch of ice cream cones. Yeah. Maybe that's a foreign concept to you uh, when you think about church, but church is a, is a family and uh, we're just trying to model these principles right throughout everything that we do. And so if you said, well, what's the purpose of, of a, someone smashing a cone on stage? There isn't a purpose other than we're just having fun. Don't, don't, it's not deeper than that. There's no spiritual connotation. There, there, there's, there, don't try and find a scripture for what we did. It's just us having fun. Yeah. Just in wrapping up, I was just often people say, you know what, I, don't, I want to be a friend to my children. And we have to remember that we are parents first and foremost. We are an authority. They've got lots of friends. They need a mum and a dad. They need an authority and figure that's just going to come in and bring those boundaries and say, that it doesn't mean I'm not friendly. It just means I am parent first. And I think fun is one key that can counteract that I'm just not an, only an authoritarian, but I bring authority and I bring direction and we bring boundaries, but it's always done with a sense of fun. And I think if you can keep the balance there, you're going to have a well-rounded, healthy family. So thanks for joining me on the couch. I'm going to hand back to Dad. Thank you. Let's put our hands together for the Rainbow family. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 